Dear Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that You are our source. You are where it all comes from and where it all goes back to. Lord, I am so grateful to be part of this body and so thankful for how You have gifted people to do the things that that we desire to do on a Sunday morning. And thank You for the worship team and for their hearts and for the sound and, and for the media and for the teachers and the people that serve at greeters and coffee. And, and Lord, for those that help elsewhere, the financial advisory team, Lord, what a, what a blessing it is that you provide for what you need for your body. So we, we just, Lord, I'm so grateful for what you do. I'm so thankful that you have given us your word to study and to get to know you better by using it. And, and I'm thankful for the universal body and how you are growing us all closer to yourself. And I just pray, Lord, that you will open our hearts to hear what you have to say today. And I would ask that you would speak clearly through me, Lord, and that you would keep me out of the way. And it's in Jesus' name we say, we pray. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. Great to see everybody out there today, and what a blessing it is. I, I, you know, I just, today's been a, a great day already from my perspective. It, it's just been astounding. I, for, for many of you that know, I am a veterinarian, and I, I teach at, at the uh, veterinary teaching hospital at CSU. In fact, I just recently took over as the hospital director, but I'm, I'm also the advisor for the Christian Veterinary Fellowship Group, and it's just a real blessing to get the chance to interact with the students. And we had a, we're having our annual conference today, so I'm, I'm doing my cameo appearance here today. I was in at work this morning, and, and I led the Christian Veterinary Fellowship breakfast, and it's just such a blessing to, to connect with the people there and to see their hearts. We have, we have two veterinarians that have been coming to this. I don't think they've missed a year in the 14 times I've gone to this breakfast. And, and one of them has been retired for some time, but he comes faithfully every year. And another one, and, and they're just so encouraging to me. And, and it just reminds me how fortunate we are to have Jesus as our Savior and this big family that we're part of. So I've already been blessed this morning and I've already been encouraged by that and, and look forward to sharing what God has put on my heart. And he's just, he's just out of gratitude. I'm just so grateful for what God does and for the plan that he has. So we, we're studying through First Peter and we're almost done. We have today and we have next Sunday and we're going to complete First Peter. And, and it's been such a a great book to go through. It's a book of, of challenges. It's the book of, of realities, of what's going to happen. And I, I think it's a book that we, we really ought to be in the modern church paying very close attention to because I suspect we're going to get a chance to see what the believers went through during this time that Peter was writing in somewhere between 60 and 64 A.D., and I suspect we're going to see more persecution. Times are changing. Things are different than they were. We're, we are going to have the opportunity to shine brighter than we have ever shown in our lives. And because of that, we are going to make ourselves very obvious to the world around us. I hope. That's my prayer for all of us. My prayer for all of us that we shine so bright that everybody knows who we are by how we react and how we do things. And, and we had a, a neat opportunity 
to talk with one of these veterinarians that's uh, in his mid-60s. He's hoping to sell his practice next year. Uh, he started his practice in 1972, so he's been at this for a little bit. And he was sharing with me his struggles and the challenges that it's very difficult to share your faith because with employees because they, they, they can take you to court for harassment and other things. And I shared with him, I said, I think it's the best thing that ever happened to us because we can no longer talk at people. We have to live our salvation and our faith out for people and draw them to us. And when they talk to us about it, we ha- it's fair game. Anything is open. For too many years, I think we have talked at people. We share the gospel by throwing it at them. And now we've got an opportunity to live the gospel before them and to draw them to Christ through us. And that's exciting. I I have never been more excited in my Christian walk than I am today for what God has before us. And Peter saw the same thing. And last week we we finished up chapter 4 and it kind of broke down into four parts where Peter was telling people to expect persecution. We're going to see more of this. And that we should rejoice in the persecution. We should be careful to evaluate the cause. Why are we being persecuted? Are we being persecuted because of our Christian faith? Are we being persecuted because we're murderers, thieves, slanderers, and busybodies? Right? We need to be careful as to why that is. And then we need to entrust our persecution to God. So Peter is preparing this body to do this. And now he's, he's changing gears ever so slightly as we start chapter five. And, and he's, he's now not speaking as much to the believers as he is to the leaders. And he starts out in chapter five, verse one with a therefore, right? And what should we always do when we see a therefore? We should see what it's there for, right? You should always go back. And that's why I I summarized this stuff just before. Because now, Peter, if you don't get what he's talked about before, you're never going to understand what he's talking about now. And you would actually take this next part of chapter 5 as something completely different. But it's not. So because there's going to be persecution, because there's going to be trials, because God's going to be about perfecting and purifying us, Peter's now talking to the leaders of the church and saying, this is going to happen. You have to be the support and the foundation for your body as they go through that. So he says in verse 1, Therefore I exhort the elders among you, as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. he's, He's now encouraging us. I was always wrong in what exhort meant. I thought exhort meant to point out other people's faults. I really did. I spent most of my life feeling that when people were exhorting, they were pointing out obvious failings in other people's lives. And really, that's not the case biblically. That's not what he's doing, but he's, he's, it's an encouragement. I'm encouraging you leaders. I'm, I'm going to come alongside you, and I'm going to encourage you, the elders, it's, 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 it's interesting. I have been so blessed by the plurality of leadership concept that we have here. It has been for me the most astounding experience in church leadership. It to see God working through a group of leaders, not a leader, 
but a group of leaders that are that share responsibilities together and that the body doesn't we don't move forward on things till God brings us to a unity of spirit. And it has been the most astounding experience I've seen. And it's very biblical because you see where he talks about elders in almost all cases. It is plural. Peter, Paul, when you see the word elder, unless someone is referring to themselves. They're typically referring to multiple, to plural. And it's a beautiful thing. And I am so grateful that God has brought us to, to a plurality because it just works. So he's calling these elders. And, and sometimes we get the terminology confused, or I certainly did. We have elders. We have bishops. We have overseers. We have pastors. We have shepherds. And those are all the same thing. In the New Testament world, those words are used synonymously. So elder, pastor, uh, all is the same in in their concept. And it emphasizes a spiritual maturity. It's not talking about all the white hairs, right? All the gray-haired people owe you elders. It's talking about those who are spiritually mature. We all should recognize or know about an elder that was not old, right? Timothy, great example. Paul talks about Timothy, and in fact, is he, he goes on, and, and we'll talk about Timothy in a little bit, about being careful. You're young, but you're still a leader in your church. So we have to, to, to be careful with that. So Peter's trying to motivate the elders. I'm exhorting you. I'm encouraging you, elders, as your fellow elders. So we get to we get to to actually identify with Peter. Peter's saying he is an elder as well. And, and we identify with Peter. And, and that's a wonderful thing to identify with for these people, I'm sure, as well. And then he shares his credentials as a witness to the suffering of Christ. He walked with Jesus. Right? He could, this could be a whole litany of things that Peter experienced with Jesus. He could talk about his faith and then almost immediate lack of faith while trying to walk on the water. He could talk about his boldness of, I will fight to the death for you, Christ, and just until this night when I will deny you three times. We could talk about all these things with Peter, and Peter's saying he's given us his credentials. He walked with, struggled with, and had all the challenges a man would have while being with the perfect Savior. And the partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. So he's, he's also then bringing up this anticipation of the future here. And it's a, it's a beautiful thing. Remember, Peter was one of the disciples that witnessed a transfiguration. He was there when he saw Christ transfigured. He knows what the glory is going to look like because he's seen it. So he's sharing with these guys, here are my credentials. We're, we, you elders, leaders, we're on the same page because I'm like you. And you're like me, and take it from a guy who's been there. I've seen it. So now that you hear me, I'm going to encourage you. Now I can move forward. So he's put himself in a position with which now to speak to the leaders and the elders to help guide them to the steps that he believes they need to take. So that's what we're looking at here. And in Acts 20, 28, it gives us a great perspective on what it looks like to be an overseer. And he says, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. So this is a tall calling that Peter is going to draw to draw us to as leaders. 
This is, this is something that should never be taken lightly, being in the position of a leader. And in fact is, for me, it's one that, that I would be just fine if God said, thank you, you've done a good job, now you can just sit back and relax for a bit. But, but that's not where he has us. I, I remember vividly when I was asked to consider being a pastor. I spent somewhere around 30, 40 seconds and said, no. It's, I'm the wrong guy, right? I don't have training. I, I, I don't have skills. I, I just am not the guy to do this. I'm a, I'm a server. You know, let me get in the trenches, and I'll work in the trenches with anybody, but I, and just not there. And I actually wrestled with God for six months over this. Six months of saying no, and God saying, it's not no. Maybe no for now, but it's not no. And it's such a blessing to have God knock on your door. And I'm going to encourage all of you. My guess is he's knocking on doors out there. Be ready to open that door and look because it's astounding. I think the best way I put it put or heard it put is that God doesn't call the the uh, equipped. He equips the called. And I am living proof of that. Anything you get from me is all God. I tried to be me to start with. It was a royal disaster. But this is, this is a neat part. So as, as I read these things, I recognize Peter's talking to me in this. And, and I need to really pay attention and learn from this. So I've looked at Peter's credentials. I've acknowledged his credentials as someone with who can talk to me who has the grounding to now share with me what I need to do. So he's motivated me to begin with. So verse 1 is a motivation. Now we're moving into verse 2 and 3, which are the exhortation. So now here's where it comes. This is where the rubber meets the road, if you will, for the leaders. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, According to the will of God, not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor as yet lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. That's a lot. It's a lot to look at this and see what God's expectations are of a leader of a church and what he wants from us to do that. And, and it's when I look at this, I realize I am woefully inadequate which makes it easier for me to be humble, which is something he's going to call me to later. Uh, it's a lot easier for me to be humble because they don't really bring much to the table. Uh, that's what's really a blessing. A God works through all of this. So what do we, what do we look like? Shepherd. So, so the word here is a verb, right? Shepherd. Do this. Be a shepherd. I found a really fascinating fact this week. Do you know that shepherd, being a shepherd, is limited exclusively to herding sheep? What do you call somebody who herds goats? A goat herd. It's, it, there's a real word for that. I thought well, it was the most interesting thing I'd learned all week. So, luckily we're not goat herds, but we're shepherds, right? Herding sheep. So a shepherd or two shepherd is to act as a shepherd, caring, tending, feeding. That's what a shepherd does. A shepherd goes out and makes sure and takes care of the herd of sheep. 
God very carefully chose sheep for us. I would have preferred that he chose horses to represent Christians. Because I work on horses. That's my job. There's something regal about horses that's not there about sheep. There's something realistic about sheep when he talks about us. That we don't have the regality of a horse, right? We just don't have that same perspective as we are growing in, in our relationship with him. We truly are sheep. We have a tendency to bunch up. We have a tendency that when we're not bunched, we scatter to all four winds. Uh, we get lost easily. We are willing to sit at one piece of grass and not down, gnaw down to the roots and kill it. Uh, we do all the things sheep do. But yet, sheep do marvelously well when they have a good shepherd. What happens if you send a wolf into a flock of sheep? They run around right into the wolf's jaws, right? That's what they do. Sheep don't get away from things. They run in circles, right? If, if you're a wolf, all you have to do is wait till they get tired. If you can eat one while well, your next meal is preparing itself. <laughs> we do the same things. So God looks at us like, he, like sheep because it's a pretty accurate picture. Maybe not one we're always thrilled with, but nonetheless accurate. So he gives us then the concept of the shepherd. This, a good shepherd is worth their weight in gold to the owner of the sheep. And this is going to be important as we look later because you see the people in the body, they're not, you're not mine, Dan's, Chris's. You're God's. He's just allotted you in our care for a time. Just like the sheep almost never belong to a shepherd. Most shepherds don't own the sheep. They just take care of the sheep. That's a cool picture because you realize you can't control them. You guide them. You don't own them, but yet you're expected to die for them. It is the most beautiful picture we could ever ask for from a leadership perspective. So shepherd the flock. Love, care, tend, feed. In our concept, we look at that as teaching. So the idea is we teach. We feed you with God's word. We open it up on a Sunday to Sunday basis and we teach from the beginning of a book to the end of a book. Regardless of whether it's a difficult passage or not. Regardless of whether it's a passage that we know is going to create angst among your hearts or not. Because it's where God has us and what he has put before us. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7, the writer there was speaking to, to the Hebrews, the Israelites, and he was helping to encourage them to help the leaders, the elders. And he says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. So, we are going to be held as leaders to give account for you. Wow. Can you imagine that? Giving an account for sheep that want to go wherever they want to go and do whatever they want to do. That's why he puts in here, Peter talks about not doing this under compulsion. We are to do this willingly. We are to do this gladly. It's my job to have the right heart and respond to my responsibilities as a shepherd. Not your responsibility to do the right thing. Hear that? It's, it doesn't matter whether you follow us or not. My job is still the same. 
I get no excuses. There is no time when I can say, well, God, I'm sorry, but they wouldn't listen to me. God's response to me will be, you needed to try it harder. It's not up to you to decide when you stop trying. It's not up to you to decide when you've done enough. This is your job. This is your life. This is what you do. And you are to do this gleefully with a smile on your face. And, you know, I have to believe that there are some bodies that it might be really hard to be a pastor of without a smile, but not this one. And this is the easiest job in the world. If you can't be a pastor here at Windsor Community Church, not under compulsion, but with joy, you are in deep trouble because you guys are a wonderful body to be part of. So I thank the Lord for that. And I'm fully convinced he has put me in a place that was easy because I couldn't have handled it if it were difficult. So we are blessed by that. Not under compulsion. First Corinthians 9:16. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of for I am under compulsion for woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. I am under compulsion to preach the gospel. God has put it there. I have no choice but to preach the gospel. But I have a choice to be a pastor here. I choose to be a pastor here. I do this because God has blessed me richly and and I am excited to serve him and you in that capacity. So I am not under compulsion to be a pastor. I am volunteering my time. I think it's one of the really neat parts about, again, what we have been able to do with the plurality of leaders And that in most cases, if you tell somebody you're a pastor, their expectations are you work for a church. Notice the difference? You aren't a shepherd of a body, but you work for the church. And so when I tell people I'm a pastor, they say, you're a veterinarian. You have a job there. I said, yeah, I do. That puts beans on the table. But I'm a pastor. What I do is is I am a veterinarian as a vocation, but as a lifestyle, I'm a pastor. And that's, it's a beautiful picture because I love the concept of the voluntary. Now, by God's grace, we are able to now have Dan on full time. But there was a time when we were all volunteering. That there was not a paid, a full-time paid pastor at Windsor Community Church. And God has blessed us by giving us the opportunity to have Dan on full time. But you know, it doesn't take that. You don't have to have that to have shepherds. And a church body. And we're to do this according to the will of God. So it's because God wants you to do it. Not because you desire the position. I shouldn't desire to be standing up for you all to look up to me. Do you notice that we always teach from the floor? You notice that we could easily put the lectern up here and teach from up here. But we choose to teach here. Because I think we feel that it is more like our appreciation of our role here. We are not somebody who stands on high and directs. We are, we want to be part of the body. We want to be part of you. So we want to be close. We want to be here at the same level because we don't consider ourselves different. We are not separate from you. We are not, we don't hold you at arm's length. But rather we embrace you and we desire to be part of this body, not not somebody looking down on it. It's, it's a choice. We do this on purpose because this is what we want. 
we don't want to be caught up in the power part of being a pastor or the money part of being a pastor. So that's what Peter's talking about. Not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. So not, not, you should not desire to be a pastor in order to have the money. Now, we kind of laugh about that a little bit in modern day church, right? How many pastors are making a million dollars a year? Right? Today, there will be some, what, there's four football teams playing. Each of these guys, there's, what, 40-something guys on each team. Each guy makes probably over a million dollars, some of them into the tens of millions of dollars. And they will, they will make, some of them will make a million dollars today for playing a football game. Right? And the concept in the New Testament church was that the pastor should be taken care of. And we are. We are blessed. You guys take amazingly good care of us. But there are people who do this because there are pastors who make millions of dollars a year. And they do their pastors to make million dollar, millions of dollars a year. Not because their heart is at a point where they're there to serve. And Peter says, that shouldn't be you. That should not be what you look like. In 2 Peter 2, verses 1 and 3. And 1 through 3, But false prophets arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of the truth will be maligned. And in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. We ought not to be here in order to put ourselves in a position to lord things over people for power or to extract money. And that, unfortunately, is happening. And we need to not be about that. Lording over someone, it's a, it's a major temptation that, that, that can befall pastors. The concept here is lead by dominating someone or some situation, implying that your leadership by manipulation and intimidation. So we intimidate people to do what we want. There's a beautiful picture last night brought up in community group of the difference of the shepherd who leads the sheep and the shepherd who sits behind whipping and spurring the sheep. Right? You're going here. And, and versus the one who gently, lovingly leads his sheep into an area. And that's what we should be about. We shouldn't be about lording over you. We shouldn't be demanding our way with things. Matthew 20, verses 25 through 28, Jesus was speaking and he was talking to the disciples. And he said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great men exercise authority over them. It is not so among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you uh, shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave, just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life for a ransom to many. Wasn't it a beautiful picture when Christ washed the feet of the disciples? I mean, we talk about, we have foot washing deals and we've done that a couple of times here and it's a, it's a beautiful ceremony, but it, we don't even know what it looks like because we all have shoes and relatively clean feet. And if you know you're going somewhere, somebody's going to do that, you probably go scrub your feet with soap before you even go. But this was a time they wore sandals through the dirt and you know how they got rid of rubbish and, and excrement at the time, they just threw it out the window. So you had to walk through this stuff. This was a different world. And when Christ knelt down to wash the feet of the disciples, 
this was absolute and utter humility and servitude. That is our picture. That's what we should look like. We should never be in a point as leaders where we're too good for that. Too good to do that thing. Somebody else can take care of that. Uh, we need to not be about that. And Jesus showed us carefully what we should look like because he gave us his example. And for those allotted to your charge, this is a great picture for us to remember that we, we are just the caretakers. We have absolute and utter responsibility for the body of Christ here at Windsor Community Church. But you're not ours. We are absolutely responsible for you, but we cannot dictate what you do. We do not have authority, if you will, to hold things over you and tell you you will do this and you will do this and you won't do that and you won't do that. We can guide you with God's word and we're expected to do that. We're expected to exhort you with God's word if you're doing something that is outside his will. But we only have the authority, we have the responsibility to help you do right, but you have to choose yourself whether you want to. You are allotted to us. We are in, we are responsible for you, but we are not in control of you. And it's a beautiful picture for that. And you should all be thankful for that if you aren't already. That's a really good thing that we are not in control of you. But proving to be examples to the flock, this is a beautiful picture of, of Timothy. So Timothy was a younger man. And there were some real challenges with his leadership in the church. And, and they, people struggled with his youth. And Paul wrote to him to encourage him in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. Let no one look down upon your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. That's what we need to be about. We, are, we have the opportunity as all believers to be the gospel for people. We have the opportunity to be such a great example that people are drawn to Christ because they see us. And it's why I'm excited that it's becoming more difficult for us to verbally share things in some situations. I work for the state. Technically, I can't even have my Bible on my desk. Right? But I can do far more by being a great example of Christ now, or I am forced to be that more than I was before when I could just talk to people. But I didn't talk to them so much as talk at them. And God has opened up some amazing doors for us, but it's going to require us to be obvious. And what does being obvious do to you? Puts a target on your chest. Isn't it beautiful? Isn't it exciting to think that we can have targets? Wouldn't you love to have something that was so obvious that everybody knew you were a believer and you opened yourself for all sorts of persecution and challenges and struggles? Remember we talked about that last week and nobody raised their hand if I, when I asked how many want to be persecuted. But at some level you have to understand it's through the believer with a target on their chest being persecuted and responding rightly to that in joy, in absolute desperation for the Savior and dependence upon God, that lives change. People change because they see that. They recognize there's something different. One of the highlights of my career as a veterinarian 
was a day that I was sitting in my office and a student came in. I had just given my testimony to the Christian Veterinary Fellowship Group. And, and a student came to me and said, I need what you have. I've been watching you. I heard your, you talk. I've spent the last couple weeks watching you. You have something I need. I want to know how to get it. I know you're busy. This is her going on. I know that I just stepped in and, and I should make an appointment, but I just needed you to know this. And I said, I'll cancel the afternoon. It's not a problem. There is nothing more important in my day than what's going on right here, right now. That's what we need to look like. We need to put ourselves out there so people can see. Do you think they'll watch you with a magnifying glass? Yeah, absolutely. There is no better concept for me for accountability than when I know everybody knows what I stand for. It's the most wonderful portion of accountability. At work, people know what I stand for. And I better live that. It better be obvious all the time because what happens if I mess up? Who gets the black mark? Me? Jesus gets the black mark. When I claim Christ and identify with Him, and I let everybody know that, I have just signed on to the largest accountability group you can ever imagine. And it's sweet. Because it helps me daily. I choose more carefully what I say. I choose more carefully not to get caught up in the hallway chatter. It's not easy for me to do these things. It's hard. I have all the same struggles that everybody I work with has. I just represent the Savior. I carry His calling card with me everywhere I go. And it, by golly, better look that way. That should be all of us. It's time to get take the camouflage off, guys. Time to get rid of the camo and show everybody you're His. It's time people are desperate for the Savior. They're crying out for Him. And they're embracing all sorts of things to try to fill that emptiness inside them. We need to remove the camouflage so they can see Him through us. And that's what Peter's talking about here. Man, be ready. Be ready. Now, the good part is, it's not just... It's not all about being this insurmountable set of standards, being a leader. Right? The reality is, if you read the concepts of what you should look like in the New Testament as a leader, we should all quit because we're not going to make them. When it's in Timothy and in Titus, Paul is sharing what you should have in order to be considered a leader. If God really expected you to be perfect in all of those ways, we would have none. There would be no leaders. But he grows us and he changes us as we go. As we accept the fact that he's called us to that role, he then matures us and changes. I mean... I I see such differences in the men that I have had a chance to serve alongside. How God has changed them. How He has matured them. How He has brought them up to be the men that He wants. I'm just waiting for Him to do the same for me. I just beg on a daily basis, God, please would you 
call me to yourself so that I could grow like these other men are growing. I am so blessed to watch how he has changed people and how he hasn't left them the same. And Peter goes on to say, I've just given you some pretty difficult things. Be perfect. Feed the sheep that you have no control over, but you're totally responsible for. But there's a blessing. It's the, it's the great part of, of what God does for us. And he goes on to say to us in verse 4, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. The chief shepherd, shepherd of course, is Jesus Christ. We are just under shepherds. We work for him. He's the boss. We work for him as leaders. And he, when he comes, when he appears, this is referring to the second coming. He's going to evaluate us as pastors. How did you do? Did you really do what I asked you to do? What about your flock? What did it look like? Were you there when they needed you? Did you take the time that they needed you to take? And then you're going to achieve, receive the crown of glory. It's important in 1 Corinthians 3, 12 and 13. Talk about the importance of what we do just on a Sunday morning when we teach out of God's word. Now, if any man builds upon the foundations, this is talking about the foundations of the faith. With gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident. For the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. What we do every Sunday when we open God's Word, God's going to test that. And the, 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 the measurement that He will use is when He turns up the heat. How do you all respond? Did all we do is give you guys a bunch of straw to carry around? Is that it? Did we just give you a bunch of straw? Maybe a little bit of wood here and there that lasts at least a few minutes longer than straw and fire. Or did we give you some gold and silver and precious metals and stones? Did we give you something that you'll carry out with you after you go through the fire? The fire's going to happen. We know that. Peter's already told us that. What are you going to look like when you're done? And that will reflect on the job we've done. Have we been faithful to God's word? Have we given you his word? Have we, have we watered it down? Have we given you some Kool-Aid to drink? You know, let's be happy. Everybody smile. It's another beautiful day outside. Or did we give you the hard stuff? Did we help you count the cost? You know what it's going to look like. The crown of glory. The unfading crown of glory refers to the flower, the amaranth, which is a picture of it up there. It's a beautiful flower. And, and it's, it apparently maintains its color for an, an amazing amount of time. I know nothing about the plant. Jenny, you can probably straighten me out later. But the, the concept is the Greek used this term because apparently this flower maintained its beauty for a long period of time, unlike most flowers, which are fairly short-lived. And we want to do that, and we want to be ready, and it's going to take time, and we need to be prepared for that. And in verse 5, it almost doesn't seem to fit. Verse 5 just almost doesn't fit with this. And, and I wrestled with, does it belong here? Does it belong in the next section? And there's a lot of debate about that. Not everybody agrees on where verse 5 fits. Does it fit with this? Does it fit in the next group? But the more I looked at it, the more it hit me. I really believe Peter now is turning from the leaders and he's speaking to the younger men as future leaders. 
He's using this to help them springboard into that. And he says, you younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders. And all of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I think he's saying to these guys, you're next. There is a whole crop of new leaders sitting out here today. If God's going to build his church... And I have every reason to believe he's going to because he said he would. He needs more people to shepherd. And he has his hands on many of your shoulders. Don't be like me where you fought six months to accept the call. Be ready. Take the call. Answer it. God has all sorts of good things in store for you. However, to, to achieve what you need to, you need to do these steps. Be subject to your elders. Close yourselves with humility. Be ready to be humble. The concept here is to put on, to, to tie on something with a bow or a knot. The idea is, a picture is like the slaves of the New Testament time. The slaves would put on an apron and tie it up to get busy and get after things. Before they could do their work... They had to put on the apron. Before you can shepherd a body, you must clothe yourself with humility. I'm a surgeon by trade. Humility doesn't come easy to us. We live in a world of immediates. You have two seconds to decide what to do here. You don't have days to decide. You need to decide now. The life hangs in the balance of your hand. I love it. It's a wonderful world. It's not for everybody. But the problem is, and you always hear the concept of the attitude of a surgeon, the audacity of a surgeon, and, and there are problems with, our, with us because, you know, what happens is most of the time we're successful, right? Something's going to die. We do something. It don't, they don't die. All of a sudden, we look pretty good, and we start to believe in ourselves and our own abilities, and the humility becomes hard to achieve. But I've learned through life that there are, there are I, I tell my residents and students this, there are two types of surgeons. There are humble surgeons, and there are surgeons about to be humbled. It's the same with us. You can choose humility, you can embrace humility, you can welcome humility, or you can be forced into humility. It's really your call. It's not up to me, but it's up to you. You get the chance to decide. It's a great thing. Do I want to be humble or not? Or do, do you, and, and you want to be careful here because there's false humility. There's the people that, that go around saying, I am the most humble person. Right? I don't think so. I don't think that works together. Humility is literally a lowly mindedness. I am not too good to do fill in the blank. Nobody in the New Testament times liked humility anymore than people like it now. This is not something new. This pride is not something we have come up with. Uh, we are sometimes so prideful to think we have, but we, we didn't. It's been around for, for forever. Matthew Henry, I think, puts this in the most beautiful perspective. Let your minds, behavior, garb, and whole frame be adorned with humility as the most beautiful habit you can wear. This will render obedience and duty easy and pleasant. But if you be disobedient and proud, God will send him, set himself to oppose and crush you. Humility is the great preserver of peace. Pride is the great disturber 
of peace. So when Peter quotes Proverbs 3.34 here, he said, For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. We need to be about humility. So what's it look like as we finish? John 16.33, I believe, sums much of what we've talked about in Peter up very nicely. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. Right from Jesus, he's just speaking to us directly here. Peter tells us we're going to have difficulties, but you know what? We know how the last chapter reads. We're not sure what's going to happen between now and the last chapter, but we know what the last chapter says. And in Ephesians 5.21, Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God and even the Father. And be subject to one another in the fear of God. What's Peter finishing here with? Pastors, elders, this is your job. Do it with joy. Do it with with absolute rejoicing because you have the greatest job in the world. Feed my sheep be ready to be responsible for them don't do it in such a way that you would be demanding don't do it in such a way that you would be lording over now we're going to fail you in this i'm going to stand right here now dan you agree chris we're going to fail help us not to by encouraging us when we do so that we know we have so we can do better next time Don't run away from the times we fail you. Bring it to us. We'll never get better otherwise. Be ready to answer the knock when God's saying, you're next in leadership. Be ready for that. He's there. I know he's knocking on doors. People here today, because we know we need you to take the kingdom forward. You might be 20. You might be 60. Listen for that knock and be humble. Clothe yourself with humility so that the world would yearn to have what you have. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. What an absolute and utter blessing it is to get a chance to open your word. Lord, I feel so fortunate that you have allowed me to do that. I thank you for cutting things straight with us. I thank you for helping us understand that it won't all be roses. But rather, Lord, you are preparing us to run the race. You are preparing us for the unfading crown of glory. I look so forward to being with you in heaven someday, Lord. I know I have not been everything you've needed me to be as a pastor, elder here at Windsor Community Church. But I'm so grateful you haven't given up on me. And I'm so grateful that you continue to grow Dan and Chris and I in this role. And, and I'm so excited about what you're doing in Kevin's life and heart. And I know there are others, Lord, that you're drawing to yourself. Would you please make them obvious to us? And would you reign supreme? Would you be glorified, Lord? And, and would you be lifted up on high? And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.